Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the In the Eleven podcast. I am your host, Brendan Griffiths, and this is the show where we bring on those from the world of football to show you what it takes to be in the Eleven at the highest possible level. Today, we have a super special guest. David Legoric is in the Eleven, and he has a tremendous story of early European playing experience to college to back overseas, found himself all over the map made his way back to the United States, and through all of that has done some really incredible work regarding athletics and mental health, which you'll hear us talk about a little bit more at the end. And it's it's really just a, a fun episode. I had a lot of fun recording this with him and learned quite a bit as well. And I think especially for those players that are out there trying to learn, you know, what it takes to get at the professional level and to, you know, hear some stories of what it's really like once you get there, you know, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as they say, this is the perfect episode for you because Dave definitely is really transparent about what goes on, you know, when you're in a professional club, what's it like dealing with contract negotiations and finding an opportunity, you know, going on trials, just so many things that I think maybe those who haven't experienced it before don't quite have an idea of what it's like to be at the pro level. So, can't wait to share this episode with you. We had a little surprise guest there at some points during the episode uh, of Davila's son in there. So I've been working on you know getting the audio perfect for you guys. Hopefully that won't deter you from, from really a great story and a great episode. And as you hear us mention at the end, hopefully we can have a, a part two incoming to dive into some of our topics a little bit deeper. But without further ado, here is our conversation. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a goalkeeper with over a decade of professional experience, coaching experience, so much to dive into in this episode, and I'm really looking forward to it, excited, happy to have him on the podcast for this week. Davila Gorick is joining us. Davila, thank you so much for stepping in the 11 with us this week. Yeah, Brendan, thanks for having me and kind of following you as well for a little while, so just been waiting for that call, man, to get on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. The, the anticipation is definitely there. So hopefully, you know, our, we can live up to the hype with the episode. Absolutely. So in kind of doing some of my research for, for our show, I came across something that you said, if we kind of go back to early on when your, you know, your playing career was just sort of beginning. And I heard you say something kind of where you grew up in Florida was not a common area where a lot of soccer players were produced and you know you were kind of one of the one of the trailblazers from where you came from what was that kind of like your youth experience growing up in maybe an area that didn't really have a focus on football yeah it was interesting because i mean looking back at it now which that's what that's all you have time to do when you retire is to look back at your career and while you're playing you don't ever really stop to think about it but mm. looking back you know at the town i grew up with alachua florida the closest actual club was an hour and a half, two hours in Orlando. And, and Alachua was a kind of small town, you know, little hillbilly town with some farmers and some cowboys. And, be, you know, before I went to play uh, outside of Florida, our only known soccer player within that area had only gone to college. That was mm-hmm. his claim to fame there. He went to a college and played 
and then I believe he got injured. And so there wasn't much of a bar to live up to, which was good and bad. You know, it would have been great to have some mentors local to really, you know, give that extra push. But really, I had to set my own bar of, you know, college wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to follow his footsteps. I wanted to set, you know, professional level uh, career. And I think at a young age, I I put that goal in my head and it it just stuck so hard that it didn't really matter where I was growing up. I had a good family to support me that, that, you know, when I said, Hey, I'm going pro at eight, nine years old, they said, okay. And and it didn't ever change that that line in my head. Mm. And you managed in your youth career to have some some pretty amazing experiences, not only kind of what you did domestically, but also, you know, traveling over to Germany, traveling over to Austria. Can you speak to a little bit of maybe, you know, how those opportunities came about and what they meant to you and, you know, your development as a young player? Yeah, so, I mean, I was lucky to have a couple good opportunities. One was to go to Bayern Leverkusen at a young age, around 14 and again, I didn't have any experience in Europe. I didn't know what it was like. There wasn't live streaming games on. I mean, I had I had a couple of VHSs that were sent over from Europe that I was getting my information, my knowledge from. So for me, it was like stepping into a, another planet. I mean, it's just insane when you get off the plane in Europe and, and soccer is everywhere from your plane, you know, tray all the way to the car, to the, you know, every billboard locally. And so it, it really blew my mind to get over there at a young age and experience that passion. And that just ingrained that, that desire to go pro even more. And so Leverkusen was an amazing experience. Right away, I went to Austria, Vienna from there. And just in my head at 14 years old, I thought I was going to go professional in Europe. It, it was, there was so many factors I wasn't considering. I didn't have a EU passport. I didn't, you know, I had no clue how I was doing over there. There was no comparison, you know, like now you can say, oh, I'm in MLS next or I'm in DA or these different leagues. So you can have an understanding of how decent you are internationally. Back then it was, I'm just some kid from Alachua, Florida at Leverkusen, Germany, not a lick of German in me. And I'm just here to do what I can. And, you know, the best thing I took from that was a level of professionalism that I I, could, I never experienced since. I mean, from I was training with the 15s through 17s and just every single day grind of showing up, hitting the gym after, hitting the physio after, going to the jacuzzi, all these different things that were mind-blowing to me and new to me. It took that long to really adapt to, hey, this is what you got to do to be at that next level. And it was so many little things from your diet to your sleep that I was just winging up until then. I was just waking up and showing up and, and there was no real coaching or, or uh, mentoring in that area to say, Hey, A, B, and C is what you got to do. And it was good. It was a great experience in that way to just say, Hey, you're nowhere near where you what work rate yet you got to be at. So you got to push it more. So. Yeah. I wonder, you know, because I think the current landscape of, United States soccer players, right, that go over to Europe, it's it's much much different than it was really, you know, even five years ago, 10 years ago. And now, you know, I kind of talk to people sometimes, it almost seems as if young U.S. players, they're kind of like 
the next hot market that everybody doesn't want to miss out, right? You know, you constantly hear about some new young player that is going to make the jump over to Europe. And so I guess I'm curious to hear your perspective of what it was like when you went over, kind of what was the reception that you received? What was the maybe vibe that players got about having an American come into their locker room? And, you know, how did that, how did that transpire for you? Well, I remember one of the first things I was told, which I stayed with a, a nice German host family. But one of the first things they told me, and it was a thousand percent true, was that you're here as a foreigner trying to take some local person's job, quote unquote. Yes. Um, and they said, don't accept and don't expect a nice reception. And so I didn't know what that actually meant until, you know, you hit the field with a bunch of German kids who say, hey, this and, and I was probably a foot taller than most of the Germans, which was at that age was awesome. And so they would look at me like, okay, this guy's here to take something from me. And so there's that, there's that initial hesitance when you're a foreigner to, for acceptance. There's, there's a, Hey, you know, I want to keep this. I don't want you involved. We don't even know where you're from. We don't even know you. You don't even speak the language. And you know, I'm as, as far off as can be. I'm a vegetarian. I, you know, so my name was different. So it was just so many little things that are bringing me in. They're like, what the heck is this guy? Yeah. So there's, there was the moments of like, guys, guys are trying to take your legs out. Guys are trying to smack a shot to your face to put you down. Guys aren't picking you up when you fall down. And, and all it did was inspire me. All it did was motivate me to be like, I got something to prove here. And so at that young age, I wasn't as cocky as I was, you know, when I got a little older. So I really had a shut your mouth and, and grind attitude and just learn and soak it up. And I think that was an attitude that really helped me. I think that's something that I, I, I see is lacking in the youth these days that they're having more opportunities, but they're having less uh, self-confidence and self-learning and analysis than ever before. So they're going into situations thinking, hey, I'm the hot shit in my town. Yep. I should be the hot shit here. And just because I was invited here, I, I, I deserve it. And that was an attitude I didn't have. I had a very humble, you know, I had everything to lose, nothing to gain attitude. So I went into every situation just saying, hey, if I get something out of this, if I get crumbs, I'll be happy. And so that initial uh, attitude got me some respect. And I was able to kind of thrive in that environment and be accepted because they didn't see me as a threat anymore. They saw me as somebody who just had no clue what he was doing and who just wanted it just as much as they did. And so I do think, you know, from my experience now going over to Germany with some younger kids and seeing the talent that we're producing, you're right, there's a hotbed of talent in America now that it was probably there before, but there just wasn't spotlights on it like there is before mm. now with leagues and proper coaching and proper development. But we haven't really developed any of the other side of it, which is the mental side, which is the mental resilience. And that's that's the essence of, of how to make it in any environment is, yes, we're all going to be technically pretty good at some point, at some age, if we're well coached. But being put in different environments, being put in different climates, being put in different languages, that's nothing that we train for in in our regular sessions. And that's some of the most important things that are, uh, you know, that are going to make the career of the player. I mean, I look back at Landon Donovan, he went to Germany at, at around that same age as I did. 
and he didn't have a very successful time. And from what I've read and spoke to some of the coaches that knew him, his heart wasn't in Europe. His, his desire to want to speak a different language and, and his desire to want to challenge into that different environment wasn't there. He enjoyed the American system and the MLS system. And so I think, could he have thrived in Europe if, had he have had that preparation of like, here's what to expect? And could he have gone on to have a very good European career? I think so. But I think, you know, like, like we're considered sometimes spoiled Americans. And, you know, we have these opportunities that kids don't usually have in those countries. So we really have to go in with that half humble, half cocky attitude. Yeah, I think you talk about something really important there. And I know kind of in my youth career, I fell victim to the idea of I got so wrapped up in sort of the local or regional, you know, rivalry, right? Like you want to be the best kid on the team that you're playing in and you want to be able to beat the team from, you know, one or two towns over. And then I think kind of what it sounds like your experience in Germany did for you at a young age, which I think is what a lot of young players need, is they need to have their perspective broadened quickly to understand like, Yes, you may be the best player in this little region, but there's players in the whole country, right, that are competing for the same things you are. There's players in the whole world that are competing for the same things you are. And, you know, it kind of sounds like that being thrown into the fire that you experienced in Germany, right, in Austria, and then also the experience of, you know, you're coming here to take someone's job and people aren't going to kind of take kindly to that. Did that maybe help you then when you furthered your career and kind of went into college to still come in with a mindset of, yes, this is college and maybe it's a little different and people are more on each other's team, right? Trying to support each other a little bit more, but I'm still here with a mindset of, I know where I need to go with this and what I want to do with my playing career. No, absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the head to broaden your, your horizons, broaden your experience. Um, is something as a coach I try to do at a young, young age. And like you said, there's kids that are the best in their team. They're, maybe they've been promoted. I've seen a few this year that we promoted to our top teams. Mm. And guess what happened? Their development going like this went stagnant because they've made, they've made it in their heads. So I think, I think one of the biggest takeaways in that was I just had that humility of, of it's never enough in my head maybe that was built into me from from a family perspective i was the youngest of of five brothers and so just you know always being the smallest always being the runt kind of Hmm. makes you want to every day try to get stronger bigger faster it's never enough you're like hey i I got to this goal but i still am a, a, a little weakling compared to these guys and so yeah you're right i had this picture in my head when i came back from those experiences and when I realized, Hey, I'm not going pro it's gotta be the college route. And then, you know, go after college because that's kind of the American system. And when I realized that I took these experiences and then again, in my head, I don't know if, you know, kids would think this way, but I'm, I'm thinking of my hours I would put in, in Germany. Okay. I'm putting an X number of hours per day, times a week plus games. And then I'm looking at what I'm doing in the local leagues and it's not comparing. I'm getting one hour of training a day. I'm not really getting a goalie trainer. There's not really gym involved. There's not, you know, extra stuff. And so then in my head, it was like, the math is off. I need to correct that myself. So what does that mean? I'm at home, you know, I'm asking my dad to build a wall, a 10 by 10, just wall out of wood. 
So I could smack balls off of it and work on my long kicks. Can I work on my punts? Can I just hit it off of it and catch it? There was just more hours and hours I put in that were just based on what I saw. And, you know, it, it's, it's the difference of, you know, when you're studying, I, I've always thought about this way, but when you're studying to become like a doctor or something, or a nurse, mm -hmm. like there's that initial stage where you're a helper and, you know, you're not expected to do as much. Just you're there, you're showing up. This, but the amount of hours that the doctor has to put in and the thought process and the concentration, that level gap is why it takes some of those people four, five, six years to get to that stage. And that's why they usually throw them in there to those hospitals and just say, let's go, let's make it happen as fast as we can. And so that was my experience. I was thrown into that fire of, hey, this is the environment. I survived it. I saw that not only could I survive it, but in my head, I could thrive. And it wasn't an un unrealistic expectation. It was very realistic. It was, it was uh, hey, you, you did okay. And I really thought I wouldn't from where I came from. So then in my head, it goes, well, if I really thought I was going to fail there and I didn't, why don't I bring up my thinking to a higher level? Why don't I try to fail at Manchester United? Why don't I try to fail at... And then if I fall a little bit below that, I'm still landing in a decent area. And, and so for me, it was, yeah, you're, that broadening your, your knowledge and then also looking at yourself and saying, I'm not near where I need to be. Mm. So when you come out of college, I feel as if, you know, yes, the landscape of soccer today in the U.S. has changed in the, w the way in which players can go pro, for sure. But I still think there's quite a bit of players who will go that route of go to college and then try and make a professional career. Kind of what is it like to, you know, finish your last collegiate game and then look at the professional landscape and think, how am I going to make a career in this crazy, you know, in this crazy wild west of a world that is professional soccer when... You know, you have a little bit of a resume from what you've done collegiately and from some of the experiences you've had as a youth, but like kind of, I'm fascinated by this idea of how to really, you know, create a career for yourself, right? Build that career and then continue to build upon that as you go up. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's two sides to the coin on that one. It's, it's people say sports is luck. There's a lot of luck involved. And I, I do think there's a, a good amount of that is true. You know, because I was I worked alongside a lot of players who were probably way better than me and who were just in the wrong place at the wrong time or not the right place at the right time. But at the same time, my personal experience was I was just a stubborn bastard. Like mm -hmm. I, I was the guy that just if you tell me don't touch the fire, I've got to I got to touch it to just make sure it's hot. Like it's just the way I was. So for me, I set my own. I set my own goal. I wanted to go pro. I had no framework to deal with of here's how you do it. Even going to college, there was never a time during college that was like, hey, here's your next steps. Let's start planning for it. Let's start. It was never like that easy. But I think my stubbornness throughout the entire process of, you know, even if I was in my second year of college, I was training like I'm going to play pro. If I was in my senior year of college, I didn't care about that senior game. I didn't care about the banquet and all this other BS. I cared about, I'm going to go pro. And so my, my, you know, they say, trust the journey, enjoy the journey. 
I, all I did was the journey and I knew there would be an end to that journey. The end would be either I either make it or I fail. Mm. But I was not going to get off that road and I was not going to change things because I didn't know how to do it. So that stubbornness kind of filled a lot of holes that kids think they have now of like, yeah, I don't know how to do it. I don't know which way to go about it. For me, it was like, it's, it's going to happen. So I'm going to try every single possible thing in my power. I'm going to go to every single trial. I'm going to call up, I'm going to cold call every single coach. I'm going to email guys that I haven't spoke to in five years. I'm going to find a way to get in the door somehow. And I'm going to just, just be a stubborn kid. And, and again, even if I'm there and I'm stubborn and I'm not great, I'm there. And so there was a lot of that that was just like, I'm, I don't know which way I'm going. I don't know how I'm going to get there. But as long as I'm walking towards that goal and I'm walking towards, you know, where I, you know, the right direction, then eventually you're going to fall into something. I mean, I just, there's so many leagues and so many teams around the world that it's impossible to be like, how could I not get in a fifth, sixth division, Spain or Netherlands or Thailand, whatever. I was just thinking yeah. there's gotta be something for me. And so there, there's a lot of, involved in that with luck and, and persistence but i think you can't stop you can't whatever goal you have i don't care if it's college you, even when you're in college and you've gotten a full ride and you're at duke and you're at this you can't stop any single day of the week because someone's ready to take what you have worked for and if that's only your goal is like that i'm setting my goal at a seven and i'm good then that seven eventually comes back down to a six or so and you end up kind of in the back you know, same spot you were. You know, the the number of times that a player hears no in their career, right? You know, I, I talk to players, you know, I've had experience myself and, and I think a lot of professional players that I've talked to, they tell the story of, you know, it took me seven, eight, nine, ten trials until I finally got that first opportunity. And, you know, I don't want to necessarily say that it's it's a delusional mindset that you have to have. And we'll obviously speak more to mindset as we go on here, but you know, you have to sort of have this mindset of as much as you hear no and you hear no and you hear no, that stubbornness that you spoke about is so important to just be like, even though they're all saying no, I know that it's still a yes. I know that I'm still going to have this opportunity to go and, and find an opportunity for myself. What was that process like for you as you're then, you know, banging on those doors and trying to find your opportunity before you then wound up with that opportunity to sign your first professional contract in, in Puerto Rico? So, yeah, man, that, so Puerto Rico was a, you know, again, there's luck, there's timing, there's, there's just opportunities, I think, in a lot of different times to be, you know, like that, that came about by, I was playing in Miami and I was able to get one game in front of an agent who wasn't an amazing agent by, by this, any sense of the word. It was when I met him, he literally showed up with a van full of like 12 players that he was trying to take on. Mm. And so it was one of those that like, you know, he was the Walmart of agents. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he had contacted me after this game and, and said, hey, I really want to represent you. And as, as agents do, they say, I got everything in the book for you. What do you want? And he, all I had to do was sign this contract that basically said he was my agent's it almost said for life. 
it was like, if I find you a team, I'm your agent. If during that time at all, you find another team, I'm still your agent. And it's automatically the news with each team you get. So something in my head, uh, you know, said, this is not what I want, you know, because why am I going to commit to one guy right now when he hasn't, he hasn't really shown me and I haven't necessarily shown him. So I, I kind of just went back to the, went back to him and respectfully just said, Hey, look, this is what I want. I'm not really going to change from it. You know, I'd like, I'd like to, for one, not be in a van full of 15 guys and just be another dude. And then I was like, for two, how can you even freaking sell me if you haven't seen me more than one game? And so there was a lot of, I knew what I wanted. I didn't necessarily know what that interaction would get, but it was because I stuck to what I wanted. He eventually came back and was like, okay, like I'm going to watch you a little bit more. Um, and I'm going to recommend something that's appropriate. And that's when he came to this Puerto Rico contract. And, and again, like I'm a young kid in, in Florida and they go, okay, go to Puerto Rico. And I've, I don't even know what it looks like. Couldn't really tell you on, on a map where it was. I didn't know what the soccer was like. Did they have soccer? Was it just crappy soccer? But he goes, listen, pay your way to Puerto Rico, get to this tryout, and there's contracts waiting for about $1,500 a month. Okay, which, you know, I'm I'm 18 years old. At, no, yeah, I'm 18 years old at that point. And I'm like, $1,500 a month is a good amount of money, and, and I'm a pro player. And so, you know, I... I took a risk. I took out 400 bucks from my small bank account that I had had working summer jobs. And I said, I'm going to get there. I'm going to do whatever I have to. If I lose 400 bucks, I can live with that, but I'm not going to lose this opportunity. Hmm. And then again, I get there and it's, it's not what you expect. It's a, it's a small time tryout. It's rinky dink. You're in these crappy fields. There's, there's no water. There's, barely a coach there with a shirt on you know you're just wondering what am i doing here this is not you know and there's that moment where you go i've made a wrong decision uh, you know i'm not really into this anymore but then i'm thinking what if what if one guy here happens to see me and he happens to know something else and he happens to call a buddy and what what if what if right i had a coach really young say come to our huddle one time and he goes he goes, there's a contract in my hand from Manchester United, and there's a scout in the stands. How do you play? He just walked out. And it, it was like that in my head every single time I was doing this kind of stuff. I'm like, what if there's that one scout in the in the stands? And so, again, this tryout went okay, but I get injured first day. Mm. I get, my shoulder goes out of place, something. And so then they go, well, we don't want you anymore. <laughs> they go... You're injured. You're damaged. And I'm like, no, it's, it's one of those nerve things that literally the next day is probably fine. Give me a day. And, that, you know, a good lesson to never report your injuries, you know, when you're at trials. But they said, no, we don't want you anymore. I, you know what I did is I showed up at the stadium the next day. I didn't ask anyone. I didn't say I was going. I showed up. I had my gear and everything, got on the field. Nobody really said anything. I trained out the rest of the session, did really well because I was fired up. I was pissed off. I was like, this is it. I got nothing to win. So I'm going to just show all you idiots. And 
you know, they came back to me and they said, we really want you. But because of your quote unquote injury, they said, we're going to give you a thousand a month. Hmm. So every kid on that team was on 1500 a month. Except for me. Because of no injury, I, I didn't miss a single session that rest of that summer. I didn't, you know, but I took it. I said, you know what? My fault for saying I was injured. I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to take this. Make a little less. Does it hurt the pride? For sure. But I said, I'm going to do it. You know, this is this is all I got. It's breadcrumbs. I got to do it. I got to eat it up. And I did it. You know, throughout even that journey itself, there was ups and downs of where I wanted to quit. I wanted to, you know, I thought I was better than it. You know, we were in apartments with like six guys to two rooms. And it was one of those that most guys would look at it, you know, and if they had any other option, they would have said, I'll go work at Subway. And there's then there was guys like me that just said, I don't care. I mean, what else am I going to do? Worst case scenario is, is I spent four months in Puerto Rico. And, and so there was just these long little, there's these little pockets of memories and, and experiences, just opportunities that had I have had a different mindset, had I have had, and honestly, I look back at it now, had I been smarter school-wise, hmm. if I had any sense to go and be a lawyer or be a finance person, man, I would have quit quicker. I would have said the soccer thing is, I mean, it's it's not worth the hours you put in. It's, there's no payout, you know, e equivalence. So you go to a nine to five job, you get paid 50K a year. You go to soccer, you put in, it's 24 hours. There's, there's hours that, yeah, you're not necessarily at training, but you're doing something to prepare. It's 24 hours a day, every single day, on weekends, on holidays, and you get paid less than that a year based on where you at. And so it was just always like those little memories where I, I, I was a stubborn bastard. And I just said, in the end, this will be a great story if I can just keep going. One more day, one more game, one more highlight, because sports is like that. You're one highlight away from being the star of the year. Mm. Look at Tim Howard. I love the guy. Hate that his only memory was one Belgium game that 90% of those saves were right at him. <laughs> but again, did he become a national sensation overnight? And most guys kind of knew who Tim Howard was, but not outside the soccer world. So it was just one of those that like, man, your life can change overnight after a game or two. And so, yeah, man, the journey is all, it's all decisions. But if you have the heart and the mindset on, on path, it, should, it shouldn't ever be a hard decision. It should be the, you know, the way you're going, the, already the direction you're going. Yeah. I, so I had a couple weeks ago on my show, I had uh... – I guess you would call him a life coach, and he works with a lot of professional player, a lot of MLS players, right? Uh, his name's Seth Taylor, and he said he had a conversation once with Dax McCarty, who I know you know that you play. I you guys played yeah. youth together, right? And I'm yeah, sure cross paths along the you know along your career. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, but Seth said he had a conversation with Dax where kind of he said 
to be a professional, you know, your first three years, you sort of just have to eat shit. And then, you know, then you kind of get somewhere, right? You start to make some headway or, or you find something like that. Yeah. What, what do you think about, you know, that kind of quote or, or what he, the, is that applicable to your kind of experience early on in your career? It sounds like a little bit, at least with this Puerto Rico situation. I got to disagree with Dax just because I know Dax well. Love him, but he might have had to eat shit. <laughs> Some of us didn't have to. No, I mean, I think there's, I mean, I think the best way to say it is, is you have to have a learner's mentality those first year or two. You have to be a sponge. And I'll tell you when I did it very wrong. When I did it wrong was when I went to Sporting Kansas City for a preseason. Mm. This was in, it was in 2015. 15. I just got back from Sweden. I was doing good career-wise. I was invited to, you know, I'd always wanted to play MLS. This is my dream. And then they said, hey, get to Orlando right now, Sporting KC preseason. Now, I hadn't been in the country for about five years, so I couldn't tell you a single U.S. player. You know, I couldn't tell you an MLS player. I couldn't tell you national team. So I show up at this Sporting KC hotel, and they're all walking by me. Zussi, all these big stars. And I'm like, who, who are you? And I'm introducing myself. Like, hey, I'm Davila. You know, please, you know, you should be pleased to meet me. <laughs> so I went in with this attitude of like, you know, I, I kind of already thought I belonged and made it. And I didn't respect, for one, who's there, the system, the environment, the expectation. And I didn't have the learner's mindset. I had already kind of had my technique and my games in and my experience. So I was just going out there like, I'm going to do the same thing I did in Sweden, but I'm going to do it here. And that was just wrong because, man, in Sweden, they expected a whole different goalkeeper. I played out 35 yards out. I'd get the ball at my feet. I'd be cutting strikers. I'd be dinking the ball in over the top, just doing stuff that an MLS goalie never is expected to do because they build their defense very well. And so, I, you know, I, when I went into that, I, I didn't have a learner's mindset. And so as well as I did, I bought heads with a lot of people because, again, you're the new guy. You're the young guy. You're the outside of the club guy. And you have to have a humility and a learner, you know, supporter mentality of like, hey, look, even if I'm better than you as a goalkeeper, there's two other goalies, three other goalies. Let's all make each other better because whether or not we stay at this club, we might go to another club. We need to be better for that club. And so, you know, I butt heads a few times just doing things that I, I do, which is, you know, I try to, I came in a little bit too hot and I wanted to make a name and I wanted to, you know, say, Hey, remember me. And I think I needed to have gone in with the eat shit, grind, clean the boots, shine the boots kind of mentality. Hmm. And so I remember this, like the third day, the, the goalie coach had to come up to me and say, hey, David, you got to tone it down like three notches. Because, <laughs> you know, there was just like, I remember one time I, Zussi yelled at me because they were shooting and I didn't let the ball hit the back of the net, you know, which is a huge no-no for strikers. And he's shouting at me, you know, he's, you know, what the F are you doing? What are you? And I'm shouting right back at him. Like, you know, F you come and score on me. Shut your mouth. Play on you dummy. Like, yeah. 
And these guys are looking at me like, dude, you just yelled at our national treasure. Like, <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> that's how I felt later when I looked him up and like my brother calls me and he goes, have you met Graham Zussi yet? And I'm like, yeah, I did. We kind of had a little fight. And he's like, dude, you know, he's a national legend and stuff. And I'm like, well, and my response was like, I don't know. And I don't really care because I'm here to let them know who I am. So I think there was, you know, with, with young players, you don't have to, to just shut your mouth and, and be a yes man your first years, but you've got to, you have to soak up everything because there's a lot of unwritten unsaid rules and you know um courtesies of the game based on what team and club you're at that if you don't know that kind of thing then you're going to step on toes you're going to not learn technique or the you know the overall uh game tactics um you know like again some coaches they want their keeper to be the loudest guy out there no matter what be the loud guy be yelling be screaming some coaches can't stand that. Some are like, just say what you need to say and then shut up. Let the rest of the team do their job. So I think understanding that is just such a tiny little detail that I could have known, hey, you know, luckily Peter Vermees was a guy that loved cockiness. So mm. it wasn't something that he was going to kick me out for, but it wasn't deserved cockiness. And so had it have been controlled and deserved cockiness, who knows? I could have been with them rather. I mean, I ended up with Ottawa FC, which is still amazing team, but it could have been a different career path just based on those little decisions. Yeah, kind of along those same lines. How is it? How does it compare and contrast with a field player to a goalkeeper, and and kind of maybe that humbleness balance between cockiness right because i know i've spoken to goalkeepers before and and you know the goalkeeper union is a very real thing and and there's kind of a maybe a different way in which you interact with fellow goalkeepers than maybe you know a field player would can you kind of compare and contrast the the differences between maybe a goalkeeper and a field player in an experience like a trial or in an experience you know during a season yeah i mean i think I've always realized that strikers and goalkeepers are very similar in the mindset, in the preparation. It's just so much, so much on the line for both. And there's so much about, it could be one moment a game. It could be one save a game. And that's, that's your job. Yeah. So I, there's, there's a lot of similarities and some of my best friends in soccer were always strikers. And so there's, there's similarities there with the mentality, but overall, yeah, the goalkeeper union is something that it's, it's interesting. It's very, I look around it in the, around the whole world. I've been able to connect with goalkeepers that I should never have been able to just because I was a goalie, just because I'm like, you know, it's like if we were in a room at a party or something and they're like, Hey, this is the president, this is a tennis player. And then there's a goalkeeper. We're going to sit and end up talking to each other the whole night. And it's just such a funny dynamic, but I've always loved it. I've always thought there should never be a grudge between any goalkeeper. I don't care if you're the backup and you're fourth goalkeeper. It's the, it's the most unproductive thing you could ever do is to have a negative because you're only force. And when you're a team player, when you're a field player, you're one of what, 18, 20. Mm. And so when you're a goalkeeper, you're one of three. 
So the relationships there, I mean, if you're one of 20 and you have one, two dudes that you don't get along with, yeah, okay, you can live with that. Yeah. Locker room's a big locker room. When you got three goalies sitting next to each other and they got to train together, they got to ice bath together, they got to show up at extra events, then there's a whole different dynamic. They have to become almost like brothers. That's what I've noticed the biggest like learning times have been is when you're able to kind of have that mentality. And the coolest part about it is if you're a good goalkeeper and you can generate that mentality, that's so uh, infectious to the team, to the, to the other, you know, other players. And just, it's such an amazing thing because you'll get a backup striker who's been dying to play, but then they look, Hey, there's three of you guys and you're, you're a squad and you guys work together. You know, it can really set a tone. And so I've learned that as a young age, like, you know, goalies, there's no real difference, you know, when you're on a team, like, yeah, there's a starter backup. There might be the one that's a little better, this feet, or one that's better than his air. But as long as you both have confidence together, then it should just be a perfect alliance of like, you know, look, dude, if you go in and play FA Cup and and it's only six games you've played this season, but you kill it and we win and we're going on and that's my team and I'm going to brag about my team, why would I not love that you're, you did that? You did the work for me almost. And so, yeah, there's... There's a psychology difference, I think, for field players because there's so much, so many more of them. And there, I feel like, not a smaller component to the team, but their, their mental impact is less. Mm. That makes sense. Whereas a goalkeeper's mental impact, when you let a goal up and your mind goes to the gutter, the whole team knows it and feels it. You let a goal up and you're like, let's freaking rally, let's go. And, and that's the attitude you carry on. They feel that for sure. Let's take a break to talk about support for the In the 11 podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 11 at manscaped.com. Now, if my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Now, listen, here's the deal, gentlemen. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and it is a game changer. Now, I know we got a lot of ballers out here, right? We got a lot of coaches out here. A lot of you, I know in your sessions, in your games, you're constantly saying, you got to take care of the ball, but you're not taking care of your own. It's crazy. It's it's wild, and we got to change that here, and Manscaped's going to help you do that. So, first off, we've got the Lawnmower 4.0, and it is the future of men's below-the-waist grooming. And that is because of their advanced skin safe technology. The lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof. It has a 400k LED spotlight. So no more going blind in the bathroom, getting hair all over the floor, right? Pop in the shower. You've got the light as well. Easy. And you're done. On to the next one. Now, same goes for that weed whacker, the Manscaped Weed Whacker for your ear and nose hair trimming necessities. You've got the proprietary skin safe technology, which is going to help reduce with nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate, sensitive areas. Now, last but not least, we can't forget about the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. A lot of you guys, I know you've got a routine with your recovery, right? You've got pregame rituals, you've got postgame rituals, a recovery routine that you do after, right? Hopping in an ice bath, whatever it is, you have to add 
your below the waist care to that. You got to take care of your balls, gentlemen. You don't want to be playing 90 minutes and then you come in and you're sweaty and disgusting and you're not taking care of yourself. You got you got to do it. And Manscaped, like I said, is here to help you in that department. And who knows? Maybe that special someone that's in your life coming to the game, watching you play. You know, you play a good 90 minutes, maybe you bag a goal. I don't know. You want to be ready. You want to be prepared. You don't want to be in a situation where you are left without Manscaped. Now, just because Manscaped is hooking you up and they want to take care of you, the Performance Package 4.0 has a couple of goodies thrown in there. They've got the Manscaped boxer briefs and they threw in a little carry-on bag just to travel with all of your Manscaped products, whether you're going for an away game, right? It's a road trip, you're in a plane, whatever. Chuck all your Manscaped products in there. You don't have to think about it. You can forget about it and make sure that you're still taken care of. So it is time, gentlemen, because your balls will thank you. It is time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off with free shipping using the code 11. That's 20% off with free shipping using the code 11, E-L-E-V-E-N at manscaped.com. That is 20 whole percent off of your order. 20% off your order with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code 11, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. So I think the impact psycho- psychologically from the goalkeeper is, it's like the quarterback. I mean, if you have a bad quarterback or a negative quarterback, you're not going to do well, no matter yeah. how good of a team you have. Yeah. How were you able to create that that positive psychology for yourself as a as a goalkeeper, you know, as you just mentioned there, there's so much pressure on you. And that's why kind of the goalkeeper union takes on a different connotation because of the amount that is placed on kind of each action that you do as a goalkeeper, right? How are you able to keep that mentality while then finding yourself in different situations? As we spoke about before, you're then finding yourself in places like Thailand and Sweden, where not only are you battling kind of just internally what you need to do on the pitch, but also integrating into a culture, integrating into a new team that is, you know, for the most part, completely foreign to you as you're walking in that front door. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of trial and error. Again, there was no book about it. There was no, no podcasts, no DVDs you could buy how to become a pro. Nowadays, there's every single advisor and special goalkeeper, special specialist, even though most of them didn't ever really step on the field, they all have a program. I mean, really, there was so many times in Thailand I should have quit. I went over there again with different culture, different food, different playing style. I'm three feet bigger than everybody. <laughs> nobody, speak, nobody speaks English. And if they do, it's so broken. So, I mean, you're, you're a fish out of water there. And it, but there's gold on the table. There's, there's teams there paying twenty five $30,000 a month to players. And they're given bonuses. They're given free first-class tickets around the world. It's, it was the most amazing thing I've seen because if you wanted it, you could have it all there. And I know some guys who played four or five years there, and I'm pretty sure they retired after that. it was one of those that I was just there looking at it and I'm just saying, I got to get something from this. I'm not leaving this country until I've made a name and I've made some money. (laughs) And so 
my second year was the same situation as Puerto Rico. I went to a team called Air Force, who was, you know, Air Force of Thailand. They were affiliated directly. So the general was the coach and the hmm. uh, co-general was the assistant coach. And they, we flew Air Force uh, cargo jets to games. It was just such a wild, different team. But they said to me, day one, because I got there about the, the last week of transfer deadline, they said, I'm going to give you $1,000 a month, which... I think I was probably making quadruple that the first team I got there. And so they said, we'll give you a thousand. We don't know who you are. You didn't get many games. Take it or leave it. And I had to just do one of those where I just signed. I closed my eyes. <laughs> and I said, All right, I'm, I'm going to do something about this. I'm so mad. And so probably three days in or three games in, I, I do amazing. I get clean sheets. I'm pretty sure I walked in about, Three, yeah, I was about three, four weeks into the season. I walked in with my contract and I said, I want a whole brand new contract. And they were like, it's only been a month or two. I said, I don't care. I'm the best goalie in this league and you're gonna, you know it already. And so you got to pay me. And so I was like, I want double or triple what I'm making. And I'm pretty, you know, it was very quick. It was very quick of like, they said, yes, we got to do this because we see what you can bring and we know we're going to lose you. So there was a little bit of a, a risk there where I just, I had, because for me, I couldn't play for that amount. I couldn't survive. I couldn't feel like inspired. So I had to get that because I knew what I, it would do. It would inspire me. And I did that again, every six months. I went back in there and said, I'm not getting paid what I'm worth. I want this. It's going to make me play better. And I was like, if you give me more for a clean sheet, you're going to get more games. I get clean sheets and you're going to get more points. And so there was a lot mixed into that of like, hey, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty sometimes, but can you just go one more day? Can you get something out of this that's like, hey, I'm proud of that. Like, you got some games. You got some experience. You survived people telling you to go home. So I think the struggle is something I've always been a little addicted to was like, this is like the worst day of my life in soccer. How do I turn this situation into the best moment? Maybe it's in this team. Maybe it's in a different team. Maybe it's in a whole different country. But it was always a struggle that I like to overcome. Yeah, yeah. I think I love that you shared that story. I think for one, it's it's kind of nice. I think for players that are listening to have someone that can be a little bit transparent about this is you know this is kind of what we're making at these different levels because I think. You know, especially a place like Thailand, people look at it and they're like, they just look at it as this like mystical kind of place, you know, and, and they don't really understand what it's like to go over there and play. But I love kind of your story about sharing. Yes, I took the, the lesser contract, but then I walked in and I kind of demanded what I was owed, you know. And so how can you speak to that? Because I think early on in players' careers, there's this sort of you know, a club is providing you this opportunity and, you know, you should be grateful that we were giving you this opportunity and you get to play football for a living and that's fantastic, right? What more could you want? Well, there then there then becomes a shift, right? And it's like, sure, you can pay $1,000 a month for a goalkeeper, but you're going to get a $1,000 a month caliber goalkeeper and that's not what I am at this point in my career. So how does that, you know, how does that mindset for you shift of in the beginning, it's like, I just want an opportunity. And now it's like, no, I'm, I'm worth this. Yeah. That's a tough one. It's everyone has their, their value in their head. Mine wasn't 
unrealistic. Mine was very much like, hey, what does the guy make that I feel is pretty close to my my level? And, and how? why am I not getting that? Maybe it's me. Maybe I haven't produced enough. Maybe it's the club. They're cheap. Yeah, I think the biggest thing players got to realize is the, the sport, it's, it's a business. The clubs are, are out to make money. As much as the players, the talent, it's not always as equal financially as it is in other sports. And so I think when players realize not necessarily what their value is, but what they can do to get more, you know, I think there's a lot of little details kids don't know. Like, for example, bonuses are a huge thing in sports, you know? So I know a lot of teams that will take advantage of that and they'll play, they'll pay a player based on a minimum salary with bonus incentives. Mm. Now that might sound very attractive, you know, but are those guaranteed? No. So they're based on your skill. They're based on, can you trust yourself? If you got to get 10 goals a season, can you trust yourself to do that? You got to get five clean sheets. Is that something you want to stress about? When I played in Thailand, after my third or fourth, you know, negotiation of my contract, I finally said, look, I'm doing so well with clean sheets. I want a clean sheet bonus. And I want it to be significant because there's games where we're, you know, it's zero, zero, or, you know, and I, I got to stay focused. I got to stay in the game. What's my incentive, you know? having a big old fat, you know, amount in my head is going to make me focus. And, you know, I kind of had to talk them into it because it was something that they hadn't really offered. And they were like, okay, great. And then they saw more clean sheets and they saw, they saw the, you know, it was valuable to them. So then I came back to them and I, (laughs) with another crazy idea, but it worked because then I saw that they wanted points teams, even one point, in a team that in Thailand, it's promotion relegation. Mm. So you get relegated, you lose so much money. So points were very, very valuable there. Um, to the point where there was a lot of underground uh, match fixing for points, unfortunately, mm. that I got to see. But when I realized this, I, I went back in there and I said, look, there's games that it's one-to-one. I've lost my clean sheet bonus. So guess what I'm thinking the rest of that game? I'm thinking I just lost a shit ton of money. So what am I, you know, yeah, I want to win now, but damn, I'm so mad. So I said, I want a tie or a clean sheet bonus. And I, I let them know the reason it's, it's a point. One point for me to keep it one-to-one rather than two-to-one is inspiration and motivation. They said, that makes sense. And they gave it to me. And there was just, there was just so many moments there um, financially that you got to fight for because the, the business isn't going to take care of the employee like you think. In any business in the world, they're always going to try to shorthand you a little bit so it helps out their overall interests. Absolutely. And in my head, I just said, I'm never going to be shorthanded. I would rather be stubborn. I'd rather be fired. I'd be, rather be quit. Um, then to feel undervalued. Um, and another story was when I was in Sweden, I had a two year, an amazing contract. Um, 
And after the first eight months, I had an issue with the coach and he said, we're going to, we're going to release you, et cetera. And they said, uh, at the end of the year, I had about 12 months, 13 months left on my contract. They came to me and said, we're going to break your contract and pay you out one month. And I had to move, you know, I'm having to move my whole family from Sweden to America, the costs and all that in my head. I'm like that one month salary doesn't even cover the move. Yeah. So I said, there's no way, absolutely no way. You sign this deal, you're going to stick with this deal. They said, well, if you don't uh, agree to this, we're going to keep you as like our fifth goalkeeper. We're not even going to like invite you to training. You're just going to be on the payroll. And I just said, even better. I can just <laughs> stay home. I can take my paycheck. And so I just straight stared them down. And there was probably four or five meetings with, I had the president, I had the owner, coaches i had uh some of the board members there against me saying david you need to sign this agreement we'll give you two months now we'll give you three months and i finally felt so offended because of what i i moved my whole family to sweden i played very good six months and then their coach changes and they make a decision it wasn't related to me and i said i don't accept that i'm just not i'm not one of those guys that's just gonna say yes sir i'll take what you want because it's not my country and I'm going to go and struggle. I said, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to get every single month for 13 months. And it took a battle. It took me calling FIFA lawyers. It took me looking up all the rules in Sweden of my, my rights. And it took me staring these guys down in a, in a boardroom. And finally, I, they, they, after months of negotiating, they finally came back and said, what do you want? And I was, you know, originally I would have settled for like six months, five months, right? Something reasonable to get my family home, get a few, a few months to survive while I find the next team. I finally was so mad. I said, I want every freaking dollar in my contract. Mm. And their eyes were like, there's like 10 months left. And they're <laughs> like, it's a lot of money. And then, you know, but at this point there was like, they had to get me off the payroll. They had to get me off the roster. And I knew these little things that I was kind of learning. Like, okay, if I'm on the roster, it's one less player they can add. So I was staring at them and I said, I want every dollar. And they were like, no way. They said, okay, fine. What else? They made, they made the mistake of asking what else. <laughs> I said, I want in American dollars tax free. And they, again, their, their eyes were like fiery red. <laughs> and they were just like, okay, done. <laughs> and I walked away from that, not feeling proud because you ne it's never a proud, you know, you're getting yeah. freaking cut. You're just sort of hanging on to whatever blood you got. But I, I just felt like I was not going to be taken advantage of as a person, as a player, as an employee. Again, none of those situations happen. If, if you're a Best Buy employee, you don't go, mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to just, cut you tomorrow because you didn't play well and we changed our manager. None of that stuff happens in other, in other roles. So it's a very, it's a very trial and error of you're put in those situations. How do you want to react? What do you want out of this? How much do you want to put on the line? You know, and for me, it was always do or die. It, I always thought one day it'll work out, you know, it might not be good now, but I, I'm not going to take something that is not just not just regular for a player and a person, but just something that in my heart I knew 
that I put in time, I put in work, put in my PhD as a soccer player. Mm. And 10,000 hours. <laughs> 10,000 or more hours. So yeah. I just wanted to feel like that's, I, I put in my time and I deserved it. That was it. Yeah. And man, those are the stories that I think you don't really understand. You don't conceptualize that that might be something that you're dealing with when you go and, you know, you try and become a pro, right? I think a lot of people's idea when they're young is, man, what is better than I get to go wake up every morning and play soccer and I'm going to get a paycheck for it, right? Like you don't under really understand, but I think the more players that you talk to, I'm sure you have experiences that you've talked to guys that probably had something even worse than that happen to them, you know, because it yeah. a little bit, you know, once you get to a point where the game is a business, it's about dollars and cents. It's about how can we make the most money, man, it, it gets a little dicey sometimes. Yeah. There's, and I think that's my advice for any, any future player is the minute you don't enjoy it, get the F out. Yep. Because there's a lot to it. There's just so much. And the passion for the game will wear so long. The passion you have for yourself and life and your family and, you know, what, what you want to do. Again, I had in my, in my head, in my heart, it was travel. It was soccer. It was culture. It was experience. So those, those struggles sort of fit, you know, my uh, level of acceptance of struggle. Mm. But for some people, if you're not enjoying it, if you're not where you want to be, if it's, and if you put in the hours and, and it's still not, and there's still a big question mark. That's the biggest part. If there's a question mark, then you need to spend time thinking about it because what ends up happening is it's like the old, old tale of people who go to Hollywood. They all want to make it. They all think they're going to make it. They all get a little taste of it. Problem is, is sometimes they don't know when to say, I haven't made it. I'm not going to make it. I, I don't really care to make it. I was just going because I had nothing else to do or it was a dream that it wasn't a huge dream. Like I want to be a rock star. I want to be on a, on a stage with a guitar and a crowd. Now I'll take that as far as I can, but in the end, I know I should have, I should have kept playing from like three, four years old to actually have that chance. So I know there's, I got to quit that, that dream some point. Um, so I'll never tell a kid to quit their dream. I'll just tell them to enjoy the crap out of it as long as they can. And, the, and, and I don't mean like really enjoy it. Yeah. Like Again, like these are all things we're talking about. Like how can you make it to the next level and all these things, but man, kids need to enjoy the level they're at. I don't care if they're in the bottom team, if you're playing and you're getting minutes, you've got to enjoy those minutes. You've got to enjoy the next minutes. You got to enjoy, maybe you get 10 minutes. And then because one day all the lights turn off and there's no more minutes and you're thinking about, man, I wish I would have played that one game. I wish I would have showed up. I wish I wouldn't have been injured. I wish I just had more desire to, to try to impress somebody that game and not just, you know, because it was a Sunday and it was Easter, I showed up. Like there's so much about the journey that if you just follow the path, the path, like, I, like I always believe the path is going to end up somewhere. But the worst thing to do is just to jump off the path because we don't know where it's going. Mm. You got to take it as far as you can. As long as it's a beautiful trail and a beautiful path and you're enjoying that path, you're going to eventually come out to a beautiful scenery. And maybe it wasn't the scenery you had in your head. 
sometimes it's mountains. You know, I'm in Colorado, you take a hike, you end up a mountain sometimes, you end up with a lake sometimes, you end up with just a patch of dirt and mounds, you know. Um, but as long as you just stay on it and eventually, you know, you're satisfied with how far you took it, um, th then you can't ever feel like there's a regret in your career. Absolutely. What do you miss about playing or, or not miss about playing? Oh, man, I'm, I love my weekends. I'll freaking tell you that. <laughs> I, uh, when I retired and I was able to enjoy what a Saturday brunch is. Yeah. Or, or hey, I want to go away to the cottage and whatever. Um, I don't miss the, the weekends being the most stressful part of life when all your friends are doing stuff. Yep. Um, what do I miss? I miss the locker room. I miss, uh, you know, I miss making friends around the world just because we played against each other or because not even because we played against each other. They knew someone on my team and we, we shared that bond um, as a pro player. I think pro players have a union that like goalkeepers that, you know, yeah, you play college or you can play club and DA all these things. But when you've stepped on the pitch in front of thousands of people week in and out, and you've, you've had to battle different things and you've had, 40 games in a season and had a, had a day's rest. There's a lot that goes into that, that only players that played will understand. And so I just miss like we play against teams from different States and even going up to Canada and stuff. And the first thing we would say after games, as we're shaking hands is, Hey, where we're going to, we're going to meet up tonight. We're going to go to dinner and have a beer. Like we just battled together, but we're all in this same beautiful sport and we all can become best friends just because of that. So I miss that. You don't you don't experience that kind of community um, anywhere else where it's like, hey, let's all be best friends now because of that. Um, and so that's definitely changed. But, you know, my body feels great. <laughs> Less stress on me to perform every single day as a coach. It's seasonal now. Um, so I'm enjoying retirement because I, I put in my years. I put in my 450 games. Um, you know, so I feel like content with it to just say, okay, I got to recover now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the last, the last thing I wanted to touch on quick, cause I know I, I'll let you out of here cause dad duty is calling, but I would be remiss if we didn't, if we didn't chat about it a little bit. Um, there was something I read, you know, I know we spoke kind of briefly before about your pursuits with kind of cognitive goalkeeping, mental health in sports, right? Mental health in football. And there's something I read from your social media that you had a quote that said, through all the years of elite performance, I forgot one thing, my mental health, right? And so kind of as, as the conversation of mental health and athletics, also in football is being brought to light a little bit more, you know, what do footballers, what do other athletes need to know about their mental health or what kind of drove you into diving into that that idea a little bit more so yeah that is such an amazing question i think we could probably spend hours <laughs> we'll have to jump on that uh part two of this of this episode <laughs> yeah for sure i think there's stick there's stigma still mm. around mental health mental training um i recently got into a very frustrating conversation with a coach in in colorado my kind of theory is that there's mental training, there's cognitive training, and there's mental health. Mm. Now, are they different? Yes. Are they, do they cross over, intertwine? 100%. I think the stigma behind mental health is that you have to be a trained psychologist to touch that. 
because they think mental health means depression, anxiety, uh, all those fears that need medication, need counseling. Now, I'm a firm believer, and I will argue this to my death, that they're pretty much the same thing. And you can tap the, the, just the surface of it, one-on-one mental health, without any degree, without any experience, except for your own personal experience. Because everybody are going, everyone's going through the same sort of struggles. They're all pretty universal, but there's different ways to deal with it. There's different knowledges that we can have about it. And that's where I think players need to understand that mental health is rooted in every single thing they do. It's, it's, it's the root. If they say sports is 90% mental, I think that's an understatement. Hmm. And we're training at about 0.1%. So just do the math. If anyone's a, a, you know, buys stocks or does gambling, just do the math. And then try to tell me that not doing mental training, not learning to control emotions, not building confidence by yourself, not dismissing what a coach says because, you know, they don't know what they're saying and they're just trying to, to fire you up. Not understanding those and then applying them is, is similar to like, I say it all the time, like you have a serious cold, a serious virus, and you're taking a cough drug. And you're saying, oh, well, it's helping me. I feel better. I'm, I'm functioning. But you're not treating any of the underlying stuff. And so mental health, mental training has to be number one. Um, it also doesn't have to be complicated. It can be very simple. It could be very introductory, but it'll make the difference of your career and your post-career. Um, the latter being the most important because eventually we all stop. We all turn the lights off, take the boots mm. out, and we don't have soccer anymore. So who do we have to motivate us? Who do we, you know, what what techniques do we have? What, what skills do we have? I had the best thing, and I'll close out with this. The best thing I ever was ever told was, uh, one of my very good mentors, Jonathan Van Horn, has a book called Shift. And it's about the transition from soccer to post. And the best thing he ever said to me early on, he said, David, what are you good at outside soccer? So I started listing things off. I'm good at communication. I'm good at, you know, timely. I'm this. I'm organized. And he, and he goes, yeah, that's all related to soccer. He goes, what about outside soccer? And I was like, dude, I don't know. It took me probably about six months to answer that question. I had no clue. I had no idea what I was good at. Uh, when I figured that out, though, holy cow, if I had known that as a soccer player, it just makes you feel like you're not just a soccer player. You're, you're Davila, the soccer player, the this, the that, the father, mm. the friend, the teammate. Then it just makes it into a, such an easier concept that sports is, is what I do from nine to five, and then I have other things that will fulfill the rest. So... Um, I think very important that we, we start shedding that light back to the mental. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I had a basically same conversation. I was on a podcast recently and she said to me, you know, who are you outside of the game? And it kind of like took, <laughs> took me back a sec. I was like, ah, I don't know, yeah. man, figuring that out. But yeah. man, David, thank you so much. Um, I appreciate your time. As we mentioned there, hopefully maybe we can do this again sometime and dive into that a little bit deeper. Um, but Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for, for jumping on, sharing your story, and, and giving some advice to, to those listening.
I appreciate it. I appreciate what you do, um, especially highlighting the mental. So let's definitely dive into that anytime you want, buddy. Perfect. Love it. All Thank right, you man. so much. Take care of yourself. We'll talk soon. You as well. All the best to you guys. Bye-bye. That was the episode for this week. I want to thank Davila once again for kind of bearing with me with all the circumstances and, and for still providing some, some great value to you guys, some great information, great stories of his professional career. Thank you to all of those that are listening out there. Really appreciate it. As I mentioned, you know, time and time again, I continue to appreciate the the growth and the support that this podcast has received. And I hope to be able to continue to provide you some some cool stories, really, because that's what this is about is sharing stories, sharing ideas of, you know, things that you guys might want to do with your playing careers, coaching careers, or even if you want to do something outside of football. Hopefully this podcast can be a source of inspiration, guidance, motivation, you know, whatever you may be able to glean from it. I, I hope I can provide that to you. So thank you to all you out there listening. Once again, I'll ask you if you love the show, if you know somebody who might be a good fit for it, please send a send an episode on over to them and tell them to check it out because we always love to see the show grow and hopefully it can reach as many people as possible. So thank you so much. I will catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.